All right, in today's episode of the JRE Review, Joe is still away hunting, or at least I assume he is. Uh, he posted some things to Instagram where uh, I guess he left his truck at LAX while he was away, and a bunch of cats shit all over the roof of his truck, which was hilarious, and he posted a video of that. So that's at least also, he is um, back. So, go that's on. Also, that's a, also apparently a really good uh, place to leave a dead body. In the trunk of a car at an airport. I read that in a Jack Reacher novel, but I was like, you know what? That makes sense. Sometimes you just hear yeah. something and you're like, of course. That makes perfect sense. Like, usually it's religion, but sometimes it's, uh, you know, getting rid of a dead body. It's not a big deal. That's it. I always think that when I'm in the parking lots of, of uh, airports, that, like, how many of the cars here either have a dead body in the back or a load of cocaine? Like 100%. There's, there's a ton of shady shit that goes on. People land, they drop stuff off. They, it's got to be like that. Absolutely. Because if if the people who work in the parking lots, if their work ethic is anything like the people who work inside the airport, there might be cars there from the 70s. <laughs> like, no <laughs> it's bullshit. so true. My girlfriend so always true. gets up. She always gets on me because we'll like park at a drugstore parking lot and then walk to this bar. And she's like... Aren't you worried that something might happen in the car? I'm like, I can't even get these fuckers to like get me some hydrocortisone cream in less than an hour. You think they're going to go to the trouble of having a car towed? I think not. <laughs> no, they don't even go outside. I think they live in the store. Hell yeah, they live in the store. It's like CVS trolls. But yeah, so Joe <laughs> is back. He's doing something. He is back. Still no podcast though. So today uh, we're going to have a conversation, Mark and I. And but and Mark's going to be showing up on this podcast a lot more moving forward. Woo-hoo! And uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about hunting. We're going to talk a little bit about some mix-ups in comedy at the mm-hmm. moment, and uh, some things I know about really what got Joe into hunting. So, without further ado, let's start this review. I really have to stop saying without further ado, let's start this review. I forget that it rhymes and it's so stupid every time I say it. I no, that's it so that all of a sudden that's just your tagline. And now, yeah, I'm stuck with it. I apologize to anyone listening. If you're like, that's dumb, yes, I agree as well. And I will try to remember to it is dumb, not but do it in this way. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> here we are, making it through. Making it through. Now, Mark, what is your background with hunting have you ever done any do you know um yeah tell me film so okay so i I never asked you this yeah no i grew up in the southeastern united states so i grew up in atlanta did a little time in uh, tennessee for high school went to college in alabama i actually did live for like six months in alabama before high school so we moved around a little bit we were uh southern nomads and obviously Hunting is incredibly popular in the southeastern United States. Um, however, I was raised by uh, a mom who, even though she was from South Carolina, was more of a Yankee than most Yankees that live in the northeastern United States. Complete and utter, like, snob about everything. And hmm. so she was not, um, you know, she had a you know huge influence on my life, obviously. And so she, I, she was not for hunting. She was a big animal rights activist. So I wasn't really for hunting either. It just kind of seemed like something other people did, not me. However, sure. as any kid growing up that liked movies, and I was one of them, um, I had a fascination with um, guns because, you know, action heroes had guns and stuff. And I got a pellet gun. One, uh, like... I don't know. My dad bought it for me, uh, much to my mom's chagrin. And so I got a pellet gun, and this was when I was in Alabama as a kid. And I had a buddy who lived down the street. Couldn't tell you his name if my life depended on it. But um, we went over to his house, and we were, and it was we, it was a rifle. I had a rifle and it had a scope on it. So automatically, I was the coolest dude in the world because I was like a sniper. And <laughs> we thought it would be really cool to try it out. And so, and I guess what well, I was twelve, maybe not. I don't even think I turned thirteen. And there was a bird in 
his uh, tree. And we decided that we would use it for target practice. And I'm sorry I'm laughing because this is actually really fucking horrible. Um, but, um, yeah, we shot the bird. I shot the bird. Um, the scope was pretty good. It was a pretty good shot, actually. Hit the bird. Um, nice. Felt horrible about it. I mean, devastated. Absolutely devastated that I just taken the life of this innocent creature who was doing fuck all to to anyone he was just singing in a tree i mean i can yeah, it's like necessarily uh cruel there i would say yeah i mean but i'm just like if i were just singing in my bathroom and somebody came in and just shot me i'd be like the fuck i wasn't doing anything <laughs> it's minding my own fucking business you popped a cap in my ass um but here's the best part i went on like a field trip like a month or two later to some nature reserve and they were showing us um endangered animals that were indigenous to alabama and lo and behold oh, shit the, the bird I shot was one of them. Oh, no. So at that point, I went from just being like re- feeling really guilty to being like um, uh, the uh, war criminal. So, <laughs> so that's my hunting story, oh, and I have not. I don't. I've shot a gun since then, at like a gun range once. Um, but uh, I've not shot an animal or anything. I did hit a squirrel once, but that was his fault. He thought he would play linebacker to my uh, 1994 Honda Accord. And even though that car was a piece of shit, it won. It won. It didn't <laughs> tackle him. Uh, yeah, road, that, uh, road kill doesn't count. Yeah, exactly. So, um, road kill doesn't count. No, I think doesn't. you hit something on the head there. I mean, there is that child the childhood fascination with guns you know you see action movies you see guns i remember that like i grew up in england with a vegetarian family and my dad was a pacifist so playing with guns and even the idea of that and hunting was not on the table at all it was talked about in a very negative light and that's the thing there's pro hunters and then there's and then there's people that are anti-hunters there's very rarely people kind of shrugging their shoulders in the middle it's just it's true. A, a topic where people are passionate you know and and this is where that misunderstanding kind of comes from so but in a lot of ways you find that that there's there's passion and love for animals on both ends of it and that was something cool that i learned about hunting as i as i got kind of more into it but yeah there's that that childhood kid fascination and then shoot a bird of course you got a gun you're going to shoot at a bird or something or a squirrel and yeah you'll probably feel bad about it you're going to have emotions about it you know you're understanding life and death and all the rest of it and it, it's kind of it you know you go one way or another but there is something that draws us to it it's in our dna to hunt it is. is in our dna it has to be well i mean we're, we, we got this far we descend from hunter gatherers and for all but two percent of human existence hunting was of course that was the way you got food. So, yeah. I mean, we're, we're omnivores. I don't care what anyone says. Look at our teeth. We have the teeth of omnivores. We have the digestive enzymes of omnivores. We're meant to digest both plants right. and, you know, uh, meat, protein, like that. Uh, that's a part of things. Um, and Unless that's you're just how eating oysters, you got to hunt the meat. There's I no mean, meat you do. just sat around. You do. I mean, it, it, it even just comes to fishing. Like you got. I mean, you know, Tom. You know, Tom Hanks and Castaway. <laughs> like he might have been a vegetarian, but then he got fucking hungry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you I mean, eat a I, lot of coconuts to stay alive. I yeah. So as far as hunting goes, I um, I don't love it, but I kind of understand that there are times when it's a necessary evil. Uh, and, and, and that's the, that's kind of the point with with really you know a lot of hunters today and, and especially Joe like for example Joe Rogan um, his turn on to, to hunting was about I think it was like 2012 was the first time he went hunting yeah and he went he, he went I think rifle for deer if I believe it because I remember him talking about it on the podcast mm-hmm. and ever since then he's fallen in love with it now he went with a guy called Steve Ranella. He's a very mm-hmm. well-known hunter who uh, produced the show Meat Eater, which is a really well 
done show. Um, the the narration in that show, it's almost like Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown cooking show. It's like uh-huh. not just about cooking, but it's like interesting philosophy. Steve Rinella does that very well in in his own way, but with with the show Meat Eater. And on it was another guy called Dan Doty. Mm-hmm. And Dan Doty has been on Joe's podcast a couple of times and has this men's group organization called Everyman, right? And mm-hmm. that was the men's group organization that I was a part of. After right. hearing him on Rogan, I knew that Dan Doty was very good friends with an old, old friend of mine from high school many, many, many years ago. And they <laughs> lived in Montana. Pardon so me. <laughs> I flew out Gesundheit to, to meet them. And, yeah. like, chat with Dan and see what this men's group stuff was about. I don't know. I was so weary of it. I was so, like, what the fuck is this? Is this, like, a cult thing? But, <laughs> you know, my friend was all in and loved it. And I respected him a lot. And after I got to understand it, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I see also why Joe really likes this guy. He's real honest and, and like, you know, just he's a man. You know, he hunts, but he's also, like, connected to his feelings and, and has these groups and he's a fascinating guy really but right. it was cool because i get to talk to him firsthand about what it was like for like being taking joe hunting for the very first time mm-hmm. and that's that's like a pretty cool story cool. it's cool to hear anytime somebody first gets into it but the but what's good about joe doing it is that he's an ad he's such an advocate <coughs> for things that he loves yeah. Right. Like anyone, you know, I get passionate about things I like, so do you. And when when he gets to understand something, he's coming at it from an adult mindset. I mean, I think he must have been in his forties when he first went. Yeah. So he's had a whole life without hunting and now he sees this new thing and he was up against the wall. He he decided that he didn't want to do the factory farming shit anymore. He didn't like it. Right. He didn't like the idea of the, all the food coming from there. So he's either going to be a vegetarian or he was going to start hunting his own meat. And I think that's a cool... That I really... I mean, that I really respect. I really do. Uh, that's yeah. really putting your money where your mouth is in terms of... And it, and it, and it wasn't about, oh, I want to shoot animals. And I, like, he started right. with the idea of like, okay, but now I have to see what it's like to go get this meat yourself. And will sure. I even enjoy it? And, of course, he chooses the hardest discipline eventually, which is the bow hunting. And I've Uh been bow hunting since I think I was like 17. So that's 20 years. Really? Well, we had it. We had him in New Mexico when I went to high school there. We we all used to bow hunt. Oh, I had no idea. I had no idea about that. That, That's really cool. I'm going to start calling you Legolas. It's so fun. Right? (laughs) But it's so fun. Shooting a bow is something else. Like shooting guns is great. Oh, yeah. There's something about the intricacies and the fine-tuning and, and everything of a bow. Bow is much harder. It takes a lot longer to get good at it. That and, I uh, it's firmly so believe. Well, and, you know, I, I think there's something to be said in terms of, you know, hunting for, you know, hunting for yourself, hunting for your own meat, for your family, as it were. Um, like if you're in the zombie apocalypse. Like I've long long come to terms with the fact that i have zero discernible skills that would aid me in the zombie apocalypse i'm a writer and uh and a, and a comic so uh, <laughs> i have zero skills but you know hunt, knowing how to hunt and, and dress and things like that would come in really handy but i will say um trophy hunting i feel is utterly despicable and i want nothing to do with it and i just don't see the point i don't see the point in killing these beautiful creatures that you're not going to eat. You're going to, you're going to take a picture with, put it on Facebook or, um, goddamn, uh, mount it on your wall that I can't get behind. Just don't like it. It's just, it's to me. That's yeah, that uh, one's, that one's squirrely. It's you just, know, it's, it's really barbarism squirrely. for barber barbarism sake. And I can't stand it. I just, I love it. When I see, you know, see these tarted up idiots, some dentist in Minnesota, like holding up a, you know, a, a lion or a tiger or you see that you know the horrible poaching of elephants that which are such mm-hmm. sweet creatures i'm like no i'm I just no i mean i'm not a vegetarian and you know chickens are you know for the most part pretty stupid and so i'm like yeah kill them go but <laughs> some of these are really precious creatures and um and i loathe that i just absolutely yeah. love trophy hunting but let's let's say for the sake of 
what it is that we don't understand the full story of of that right it's easy for us to see it on the outside and be like yeah that's fucked up why would you shoot that you rich westerners like pretty much all the things that you said right right but then you hear those stories of like okay so there's a a big group of rhino in this area and Mm -hmm. one of the older males that's no longer breeding is running around killing other males so within that area they usually will send in somebody to take the rhino out well, so they could do it for zero dollars or they could auction it off and let's say they sell it for fifty thousand. a portion goes to some of the villages around and this is all hypothetical i don't know if it works like this but i've heard similar stories when people try to try to um just kind of like inform me of like oh sometimes it works like this in these areas then you get the um, habitation portion of it where they're mm-hmm. trying to bring back more endangered species like some of these elephants and, and so on. No, and I mean, that's, with, yeah, with well, that's conservation and I can get behind conservation. And, and use it. Yeah, I, 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 you I, know, but I think that I, there's some, there's a truth well, in there and I just there, don't understand I think there is. And if we're, so let's operate under that hypothetical. Let's just assume that's right and, you know, for the sake of the conversation and, if it's not, then obviously everyone listening should know that, that this is uh, these opinions are based entirely upon that hypothetical and not based on anything else. Um, the world is not black and white. It's gray, and there are things that happen. And I loathe the idea that, you know, even though, you, you know, so let's say you have that rhino that's going crazy and killing other males, but he won't breed, and you have a population problem happening, and this is a solution, and then the choice is to make fifty thousand dollars off of it or zero uh which would mean that it probably there might be some uh, black market shit going on um does that encourage more poaching that's the question but uh, but i also understand that fifty thousand dollars might go a long way towards those conservation efforts so it's this weird double-edged sword hypothetical that may or may not be real and i get it yeah. but um i don't it necessarily just has to be either way i think it needs to be very carefully monitored and it's uh, hard to do now in the u.s agreed. they do a much better job like they do in the u.s the hunting that i've experienced in multiple states is very well organized very well regulated uh, you, too yeah you get tags uh we actually the u.s has the most money like within the billions a year for conservation uh-huh. and no other country raises that now here's here's a good example of something similar to what i was just saying about what happens in africa other countries like england and european ones that are, are, are very conscious about the environment and recycling and all this can't raise anywhere near the money for animal conservation as the u.s can because right. the u.s is making their money from the hunted hunting uh-huh. tax and these licenses and all the rest of it to hunt just a few. So we actually have the best kept preserves in the US. I say we, I'm a citizen, so I'm allowed to. Absolutely you are. But that's how it works, right? So the idea is sound. It's almost like, wow, when, when, let's say, Peter were like, let's ban all hunting forever. Cool. Of course. That's your your end game. Imagine if they did that, and then all of a sudden, (laughs) conservation money drops a hundred times or Mm -hmm. more. To where they're like, shit, we can't, we can't maintain any of these areas right. because of this much. It's almost like that's another example, almost of like, you know, it's kind of a catch twenty two in a weird way, especially if you're anti hunting. Well, it's, I mean, it's definitely a consideration, and there's always, you know, there's one more, there's always a, more caveats to the story than what it is on its surface. But I would say, as a general rule, I'm 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 against trophy hunting. But I understand hunting for conservation and for food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, at least there's at least there's no real like they don't do trophy hunting in the U.S. Like you, I don't no. believe they at least in. Well, there. I mean, there's you, some you people. Count? You know, the the elk and you know you the deer heads on the walls and that's I don't know that's a little barbaric for me. That's just uh, oh yeah, not, that's that's trophy ish stuff. It is. Uh, it is. I, and it I think it's just because it's so difficult, though. Especially if you get one with a with a bow. I mean, sure. I wouldn't say that I know, and I know plenty of people in New Mexico that have, you know, racks. I don't own any. I never kept any of mine. Uh-huh. And and in some ways, it's 
like to them it would be more disrespectful it's like i didn't care enough mostly Mm. it's not that i moved around a lot and i didn't know how to carry a bunch of horns everywhere but (laughs) but i know hunters that will will keep them all because it was like the story of that hunt and it's, it's kind of like the honor of like they they worked for it you don't always get something when you go out there it's very very difficult sure it's hard He's not just like a bunch of fat guys smoking cigars and then they're like, there's one, shoot it. It's just exactly. It's not. You've it's got straight so forest. much work in that. Yeah, it's head straight forest. It's so so there is like the that bit of appreciation, but it just it comes across so ugly when you Instagram a picture of yourself smiling next to it. Just I totally get it. Yeah, I totally, oh, totally. get it. Totally. Totally. Nobody's thinking about all the work that you put in, how long that was, how the shot was just you trained for like so long to get into the right position and be able to take it down. And this was your one, you know, kill for the year on that tag. And it just means the world to you. And you're going to keep all of the meat and give it to your family and friends. And it's going to be a big thing. You know, it's going to be a big deal. None of that passion comes across in that photo to people that don't do it. So I get it. It's a right. It's a tricky one. The only thing that comes across is, yeah, no, Go the on. only thing that comes across is the dead thing that they're holding. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, but, but I think, look, Joe Joe does a really good job of describing this. When, when he talks about what hunting is to him and why he does it and why he believes in it and how the conservation stuff goes and he has these hunters on, I think it really has helped at least open people's eyes to the idea of these things and at least taken a little bit away from the idea that it's just this barbaric event like what's what's really barbaric is mm. all the meat you ate this week that's fucking way worse than anything hunters are doing but we true, just don't true, think true, about true. It. well no it's true I guess out of sight out of mind foods or whatever yeah it's yeah. gross what goes on in those places and that's the shit we don't talk about it's almost like those places have the animal rights people and the hunters fighting with each, with each other while well, they just stand to the side and go nah Hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the idea of um, fighting over table scraps while somebody feasts inside. It's like your, yeah. your problem isn't with the other person who wants, you know, fighting for the table scraps. Your problem is with the person inside the mansion that won't share their whole, you know, Yeah, I would say to anybody that you don't have to hunt, but, but if you ever get the chance to just even go with some people doing it, you know, mm-hmm. you'll be hiking, you'll be camping, there'll be like an experience with it. If you leave and you're truly disgusted, fine. You know, that's that's your choice and that's that's excellent because then I would say it's a very informed choice. Like you got to see it up close and you're like, no. But, right. but I, I would really recommend it because I think that you would see it quite differently. You know, it would be like anything. It's like going to a different country when you don't understand somebody's culture Really exactly. immersing yourself in in some sort of celebration that they do that we, we we think is kind of barbaric and messed up, and then you're like, oh shit, I I understand where this is coming from now. I see what's happening, and and you'll see these guys or g- gals, like a lot of women hunt too. You're like, wow, uh-huh. these people have a lot of respect for these animals. It's not just no, like, I'm... yeah, shoot them in the head. It's not any of that. It's, oh, it's totally. Cool I mean, stuff. Native Americans. Mm. I remember this coming to my fifth grade class and they were talking about how um, they paid such respect to the animal. And it was a, it was a huge thing paying respect to these animals, you know, saying like a prayer um, over their body, thanking them for their sacrifice and then using every damn part of the animal. Cause they were like, this is not something we want to do, but if we have to do it, obviously we're, we go after either the one of the oldest ones or the one of the ones lagging behind. So the strong ones continue to reproduce, uh, you know, they, they continue to be fit. And, um, and and then they pay complete respect to that animal sacrifice. And I think that's a – and that was obviously from a time when you hunted. Like that was how it was. Like you hunted yeah. or you die, or you died, you know, the hunter-gatherer time. So, well, so um, much of it and is, I think it's a wonderful is usable too. It, Absolutely. It's all really wasted today. We just mostly eat muscle. Because it's like I know. you know easy to deal with. I mean, I, I remember aren't this... really used. Uh, the cartilage stuff you can boil all that down. Bone marrow they used, is fucking delicious. They used the brain because that was because 
morbid curiosity I had. I'm like, what do you use the brain for? And they actually used brain matter is almost like a primer on um, hide for painting. Like if they were going to do any art or illustration work or anything like that for their rituals, they use brain as like a primer. It was no the damn shit. weirdest thing. Yeah, I was. I'll never forget it in my entire life. They would put it that's on like cool. that's like a, a cool fact that as a kid you just get given. Yeah, and you're like, I'm never gonna forget this. This is sweet. Exactly. Yeah, it was one of those cool things that I'll just always well, remember. Well, it's almost like we're kind of going back to it. You see more organ meat now in stores. You mm-hmm. can buy bones again, and real nice restaurants are starting to serve like bone marrow. You know, they give you big things of bone, and you get some bread, and then you know you're like scooping out the marrow, and it's really good. It's no like shit. a super delicacy, and that shit that you just used to chuck. Well, it's of so course. nutritious. I don't know why. Uh, I, mean, got it, so I lazy guess it should be it. nutritious, huh? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very, really the muscle is other than all the protein, which it has, has a lot of protein, which is very good. You want a lot of protein and mm-hmm. some fat. It doesn't have a ton of nutrients. Meat is pretty nutrient dense, but um, organs have a lot more um, minerals in. Uh, bone marrow does especially as well. So there's oh, other parts that are like more. It's just not as tasty. You got to work with like a liver to make it taste good. You know? so <laughs> it's like, fuck, what am I doing with this? <laughs> Yeah, we eat a lot of that crap in England, though. You know, liver and onions, steak and kidney pie. Yeah, we're all about that. I know it's just part of our culture. I we we still do it. It was always yeah. We did that until uh, MSG made its way over, and they were like, "Wait, it can taste good? Fuck this shit!" Yeah, but But, you know, it's almost the same thing. Like, not to say that a bow hunter today has the same reverence and understanding as like. A Native American because they sure don't, like, the and native, guaranteed it was, it was their culture, it was their life, it was what kept them alive. It was, you know, built into all the beautiful things that they celebrated. But in another way, the hunters today, if you get your animal, I mean, you're either butcher it yourself, which is quite a lot of work, especially if it's an owl. Quite those things are massive. Or you'll take it to a butcher that you know or trust, or is close to the site where you where you killed it and is probably well known. And they give you like a price per pound for prepping it, but they do a lot with it. And they give you the option to have the bones and you, you can take the organs. And when it's yours, if you have the freezer space, most hunters will keep as much as they can. Absolutely. As much as they can use. I mean, the hide gets thrown away because nobody fucking knows what to do with that shit really anymore. You're like, all right, we've like lost the skill or I worked on, I worked on. I work in so many reality shows, and one of them was like Alaska Alaskans, and they would talk about how they'll go hunting and they have a they have a short season, and then they have to cure the meat because that lasts them the year. Like this is our meat for the. This gets us through six months, um, and that was like that was like real frontier living. Like Ooh. they didn't they didn't even like cameras there. I mean, they accepted that they were there because they were documenting what was happening, but that that was real frontier living. That's just how it was. Like there was, oh, wow. it wasn't the, you know, crew wasn't feeding them. Crew wasn't giving them, you know, or helping them out or flying in a bag of Doritos or anything. They were simply there to document and to interview them. That was it. It was pretty interesting. And, you know, a lot wow. of these, uh, you know, they were, it was from Inuit tribes. So uh, some of the people w- weren't anymore. Some of them were just like white people that were sick of living in a goddamn city. And they were like, fuck it. I'm going to go live in the goddamn wilderness. <laughs> But, but it was true. That's how they lived. I mean, there was no, it wasn't like a lot of reality is bullshit. But I think when you look more like your documentary, like Discovery Channel and History Channel, things like that, those are more, I wouldn't even call those reality as much as documentary programming. That's real. Like, because they're not manufacturing drama. This is just like, this is what happens in their lives. And they just cut it so it's not incredibly boring. But there's no, um, there's no, it's not like The Bachelor where they're trying to, you know, get the, to lead tribesmen to a fight with an elk or something like that and have them kill the elk for good TV. It's like he, they hunt to fight. They hunt to eat, and that's it. Imagine the unique perspective you get if you went and kind of lived like that, even for a month. I mean, you'd realize so fast, holy shit, we are so fragile. Like, getting your own meat is hard as hell. I've gone hunting before. I've done an entire week 
elk hunting, but the, it was it was basically like we we hadn't missed the rut. It just hadn't started yet. Like the temperature was off. It was super hot. Sure. And they only give you they give you like a, a a set of time, right? So you get like maybe there's two lots of time for a particular area, and you'll do like the 14th to the 20th, and then the next group will do like the 21st to like the 26th or or whatever the times are. And what mm-hmm. they try and do is time it for the rut, and the rut is when the elk are breeding. So they're kind of out of their mind. They're just like horny as fuck. It's the one time a year that they breed and they're and basically it's because they're a little bit sloppy they're not paying attention sure as they're much horny. because yeah they're horny and they're doing their thing and people are like well that's cool when they're horny they're, um, well look you can't fucking get them with a bow any other time of year are you and kidding the idea me is the number of times i've been be horny and i was like just someone kill me <laughs> put me out of my yeah. misery <laughs> that's the it's perfect doing, time sometimes it's doing them a favor but oh what you God. do is you find an old mature um bull elk that's what you're looking for male that's had plenty of seasons of breeding and it's maybe his last or maybe he has a right. couple more and instead of like slowly just breaking your leg or getting old and getting attacked and eaten by a wolf or some awful way because everything dies in a horrendous way in nature i'm afraid to oh say horrible it. to go like that just stood up majestic and boosh just done in one second i mean there's like a beautiful grace to it in a way it just is yeah. but if you miss that window and it's too hot, they all go up into the hills, then you're hiking the whole time. Every shot's basically impossible. You don't even get close. It's a, it's a nightmare. It's so difficult. And I remember when I did it that time, I was like, okay, so you can only really get these animals once a year. <clears throat> we have more advanced bows than we would have had a thousand years ago, of course. Right. <clears throat> now, we, we, I don't believe that we're as good at hunting, even the good hunters and and forgive me if you're a hunter and you're listening and you're very good and you, you think that you'd be better than a, a hunter a thousand years ago uh, you you might be right i don't know but my guess is when you do it all the time and it's your life and it's the only way you eat even with shittier equipment you're really good with it you're fucking excellent you sure. know how to track these things you know how to get on them but i was like we didn't get shit we would have fucking starved to death like Absolutely. obviously we could just reach in our pocket and get little snack bars and cliff bars but it's <laughs> no joke, mates. man. yeah right <laughs> just call it out they drone amazon just drones in a sandwich <laughs> i know oh god we're so fucked we're yeah, so fucked. but it's but it really made me think i just had not put it together i was like well with modern technology we should be in abundance now don't get me wrong if you have a rifle you're in a lot better position and it takes slightly less skill, though it's still difficult, and you can be further away, and you could probably get more animals. But, you know, it, it really gives you a respect for how smart and fast and agile and really just the, the intelligence of these things. I mean, you don't think of an elk being smart. You're like, well, it must be like a cow. It's going to be pretty dumb. No, it's ahead of you. That's its world. Oh, I bet it is. It knows when you're coming. You have to be – there's a, really a lot of luck that goes into it, to be honest. Oh, I believe that. I believe that for absolute certainty. Yeah, a, a ton. And that's why I think, again, it's so important to have someone like Steve Ranella that did the show Meat Eater introduce Joe because mm-hmm. of his description to everything. And then Joe be able to come back and like talk about this while basically living in L.A. and being an L.A. comic. I mean, this isn't the sure. type of thing people you know, are, are super behind in L.A. They're like, no way. You know, it's a very liberal area and and this is just not a dialogue that is is discussed. So it's it's nice to have a, a little bit of conversation without people getting really heated. And I'm not saying he's changing a lot of minds, but it, at least he's just highlighting what it is. And, you know, well, I appreciate you, that from, yeah. from a hunter's standpoint. I'm glad that we, we have people that do that. Well, you know what? In a, in a world where so many people have their minds made up about a subject they might not even know about until it's they're asked about it uh, i was telling someone the other day i was like um we, we live in such an opinionated culture that people have an opinion about something they don't even know about but if you ask them they're like well this has got to be it because this is just how my brain feels and so for someone to actually go out of their way to open up their mind to something that is foreign to them i actually think it's it's very mature and i think it's a good way to look at the world it's it's how we should be speaking 
and and recently, you know, as you know, Joe has been having these kind of almost like panel discussions, but not really. Like you have two people right. with kind of opposing ideas and they talk back and forth. Now, some of those get heated. Some of those have got a little ugly and there's been some some kind of, you know, I think I think even um, Rogan is, is still trying to get the kinks out of it, you know, but he mediates quite nicely. He lets people talk and sure, try sure. to talk over each other. And it's it's bringing adult conversations to these very emotional topics. And that's that's how we've got to do it. I think so. It really, it really is. I mean, th- this this is also a good segue to bringing up what something you mentioned earlier that we should talk about. Yeah. Um, what's her name? Dina Hashem. Yeah. Hashem? I'd never. Uh, I'd actually. I'd never heard of her. Not. That's not to say she's not good because I, I quickly studied up on her and she's very good. But um, yeah, she's funny. I, I don't just... know how to say her name. Um, but yeah, this is an example of it. This is an example of people getting very, very upset, taking something out of context, jumping all over someone with threats before they've gone, hold on a minute, this is just a comedian. So if you want to fill us in, fill us in for those that don't know Mark and then and then we're, we're, we're discuss. Yes, yes, yes. So her name is, here I wrote it down because um, I just texted it to you, Dina Hashem. I think it's Dina Hashem. She made okay, a joke um, about a rapper. I'd never heard of him. I can't even remember his name. Apparently he was fairly, um, fairly popular, fairly famous. Or do we call him a hip-hop artist? I don't even call him rapper now. I sound like my mom. Is that one of those rap music things? It's hip-hop <laughs> now, mom. It's hip-hop. You're hip-hop. so lame. Cool. Come on. Um, but, um, you know, sadly, he was uh, he was on his way to, um, uh, to buy a car, and he got murdered. And Dina's joke was that, uh, you know, he was on his uh, way. And he had $50,000 Yeah, he had $50,000 in cash. And he was on his way to buy a car with that cash, and it was murdered, and they took the fifty thousand. And she, she said, and you know, and that's actually just a, really, you know, that's a really good ad for Venmo. It's like, oh, I don't have Venmo, I should get that. And I read it and I <laughs> laughed out loud. I was like, that's really clever and funny. And yeah, and I will go back to, and I think, and I always go back to Dave Chappelle because he is everything to me. And he was talking about it was back in his old one of his Netflix specials and he was talking about his, um, the transgender jokes he made. And he was mentioning a letter he received from a transgender fan that said, you know, we're very excited about your show. We're excited to come see it. And then, um, you made this joke and we were devastated and, you know, and that weighed on him. And then he, but then he made this excellent point and he goes, you know, folks as a policy, I don't feel bad for any of the shit I say up here. And I loved that because, and, and you sent me a clip of this comic. Um, well, I can't remember his name, but he was like, that's our job. It's what we do. It's what we do on stage. You make those jokes. So you can make any joke you can. You got to try them out. You got to get, got to get through them. Um, yeah. That was that's Andrew how, Schultz. Andrew yes. Yes. Schultz. And Big up and comer out of New York, and he's unapologetic, and he's funny as fuck. Yeah, and I'll make um, and I, I make a full throated confession. I use comedy to deal with grief. I use comedy to deal with difficult, uncomfortable situations. I've cracked a joke at every close family member member's funeral that I have lost, and it wasn't. Now, first of all, I come from a whole line of just tricksters and funny people so i don't think there would be any problem with them on the other side thing and that was disrespectful it's how i pay respect but it's also how i deal with grief and uh but at the end of the day you get to say whatever the fuck you want up there because somebody's always going to be offended and then some people are going to goddamn laugh and that joke's for them yeah and make it funny that's the point make it make funny, it funny. If you tell a joke like that, or you're just making fun of someone that just got shot or OD'd or whatever, yeah, that sucks, right? That's right. not cool. But if it's fucking hilarious, then there's therapy in it, right? Well, and obviously, because... I didn't know that rapper. I wasn't. Yeah. I didn't, maybe if he was my best friend, I'd be more bummed. But I'd like to think that I know comedy better than than I would know the frustration I would have for well, that. that. And the crux of the joke is don't carry that much cash on you. 
Like that's what was so funny because it was like he was robbed for the cash. So yeah, I don't know, use Venmo. That's that's yeah. funny. And and, and you know, I was thinking this right before um we sat down to do this. Um Keith Richards will die one day. We might not be there for it, but he will die one day. And there will be a parade, nay, a stampede of comics dropping as many Keith Richards is dead jokes as humanly possible. The we might there might be record set the number of people that will come out of the woodwork to drop Keith Richards is dead jokes. And I can't imagine that there will be that much of a chorus of people upset about it because he has this whole thing where he's just been destroying his body. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's like about time. Like, how did he manage it? Exactly. And I doubt yeah. anyone will be if I can't. I mean, I, I'm a huge Rolling Stones fan. I won't be offended. The dude lived forever. Mm. Now, I mean, obviously, this, this gentleman that was, you know, killed probably was gone way too soon. Um, but it just gets yeah, and it's an point. awful crime. I mean, no it one's is. not it's saying terrible. that it isn't. Like, of course, it's all fucked up. Like, it's not cool. Somebody got shot. They got killed. But I mean, the fact that so- this poor girl, who is an excellent comic, is getting death threats That's because horrible. she said that is outrageous. Over a joke. This Over is a, a joke. goddamn joke. What would you do? What would you do in a situation where if you got death threats? Laugh. I'd be so fucking proud. That shit would be all over my Instagram. I'd repost everything. I think I'd I'd just, you know what I do? I turn on my tracking. You know how you can turn on your GPS on your phone and your tracking? I would just have like a flashing blue dot. And and, and (laughs) I don't know if there's an app, but I'd allow everyone to just know where I am all the time. And I'm like, that's how I'd Come and shoot me then. Come at me, bro. Yeah, nobody's killing anyone over a joke. You'd be absolutely out of your mind if you even bothered. 100%. 100%. Now, uh, unfortunately, there are many people out there who are out of their minds. So well, that true, is a, but I don't that think is a consideration, that that's not but happening. No. Yeah. That's I, fucking I horrible. hit it head on. And it's this so poor stupid. girl... And you know what sucks? Comedy Central didn't even, like, defend her. They haven't. Even, they have not released a statement supporting her or anything. It's like, you are Comedy Central. Comedy. Like, you've got to back your comedians. You've got to back your... Yeah. you got to back them. probably corporate central before of course they are of course they are pussies yeah it's sad and i but i think this is why people need to come together this is why we need to talk about it right now and that's why Mm -hmm. we're choosing to do it you know i also think and joe i guarantee joe rogan will talk about it this week and they go out to millions of people and i make the point that hold on a second like this is what comedy is we we can't be apologizing for it it's yeah. you know I I feel like when something like this happens and people push back, all the comics should start writing jokes like this. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Support. Yeah, well, just like I think slam at the end everyone of, with it. At the end of the day, um, I, I love your point that make it funny because I mean if you're gonna if you're gonna go into that controversial area, make it funny. But at the end of the day, you don't get to tell me how to do my art and whatever and you whatever you think of comedy or whatever you think of any other type of art, it is an art form. It is, it's writing, it's performing and you are naked. Like it is all you, it is all your work. It is your performance. You don't get to tell me how to do my art. You get to, you know, and you know what, in terms of art, she made some motherfuckers feel some shit. She made some people laugh. She made some people riled up. But that's what art does. And you might not Dude, she like made, it. She made everyone laugh. She did. Because it's laughed. a great goddamn joke. What you do is is basically what you're saying is this. You don't let one person in the room tell you how to do your art. It's Hell the no. room that tells you. So if mostly everyone in a room laughs as a comedian, you know, I've got something here. This is a joke. Let's work this. It, right. If five people in the room get really butthurt about it, you're like, well, Okay. That's how it goes. Now, obviously, don't make it overtly racial or bigotry or like something that's very specific to a religion because that's lazy and that's bullshit. It's horribly but lazy. If it's, yeah, and not well, funny. It's just stupid. It really isn't. But if you're just crushing with the line like that, you can't let these two or three people, they're going to moan about everything. Everyone's going to moan. If they were the audience, if they were the rating system, the judges for all comedy, 
you wouldn't be allowed to say anything. Nothing would be funny. Nothing would be world funny. Would be like a, co- a Disney cartoon. It'd be horrific. Horrific. Now I yeah. like the I like the idea that the times have changed. That there are jokes Eddie Murphy did and Delirious and Raw that you just you don't do anymore. Not because it's kind of small minded. And it just doesn't. It's not the, the the fabric of the world has changed. It's just it's just not really that funny anymore. It's because, and my girlfriend puts this best. Comedy is about punching up, never punching down. That's why you know there's so many comedians are political because you're going after the establishment. You're going after government, the aristocracy, the proletariat, the establishment. You're punching up. And I think racial jokes and gay jokes and jokes about you know women, misogynistic jokes, I feel like that's punching down. And again, I'm very much of the opinion, no one gets to tell you how to do your art. But at the same time, I think comedy thrives when it's punching up, when it's going after those people that need to be taken down a, a peg. Um, and this, you know, this girl wasn't going, she wasn't doing any, she wasn't punching, she wasn't punching down. She made yeah. a great joke about Venmo. But know. even if it was punching down, if it's a good enough joke, if it's clever. It's a good enough joke. The, here's yeah. the thing, the more offensive it is, the cleverer it needs to be. This is why Andrew Saltz is good, because like, he'll go after women a little bit, or like women that he's dated. he like mm-hmm. picking on them for doing things, which some people get at upset about they're like well you're a white man and you you're you know you have already the white male privilege <clears throat> but then but that's his experience just, yeah and he's just poking at different but he's like bringing them in he does it in a very clever way and you can tell there's no hate there's no sure for like he has no real disrespect he's just observational and it's and it's clever he is a good example of how you do that right now the problem is it's much easier to do it wrong and more people would do it wrong. So it makes sense that generally as a whole, you're going to group that whole kind of comedy and say, no, that's out the window because that's always of bad. Well, yeah, of most course. of the time it is. But any bad comedy should be thrown out. Absolutely. It's the bad comedy there's, portion of it. You're like, you're not so funny and you say sexist shit, fuck off. Oh, I'd rather have you have one like good joke that offends people than... 40 shit jokes that no one laughs at because then you've just wasted <laughs> yeah that that doesn't and offend anyone boy we've it seen some point. haven't we oh my god yeah Woo! you're like oh yeah. god just get to the offensive shit and let's get this over with <laughs> well you know and we've told some too i've i've told oh, some jokes yeah. and i got done with it and i'm like why did i even say that that joke sucked i knew it when i wrote it i got no laughter i've just wasted 30 seconds of this set and and it, and it wasn't that... I yeah because maybe I made it too PC you know sometimes I do that I like scare myself I'm like oh I don't want to put too much uh, controversial stuff and in. maybe was... I'll go easy on this corner but it just doesn't it doesn't inspire any emotion it's like oh ha ha that's why I always tell you be you just be you yeah but it's true yeah, you have to be this is what they be. talk about when when comics talk about finding their voice that's it yep that's it what do you got to say. What yeah. are you gonna say? Do you think the show shows like Jeremiah Watkins stand up on the spot that Joe Rogan does a lot at the comedy store? And for those of you that have never seen that show, if you're in the LA area or you ever go to the comedy store, I would really recommend watching um, Stand Up on the Spot. Now, also yeah. Jeremiah tours with um, Jeremiah Watkins tours with uh, Tony Hinchcliffe for the Kill Tony show. And their mm-hmm. tours are pretty extensive through the U.S. So if you're anywhere in another state, check it out when they're coming into town. It's it's worth hitting up both of those shows. They are fantastic. They really Absolutely. are. They're very unique and they're unbelievable. But what's really great and what I love about the Stand Up on the Spot show is that, and I, I talked about it before, is that um, the audience just shouts out your category. So either you have a story in some stand-up, some material that's similar that you can use, or you're just going fresh. And when you go fresh, that's really your voice. Like, this isn't your written voice, yep. your regular, like, comedy voice. Not your like character, Mark. not your I'm going to say this. You're, you're an excellent writer when it comes to comedy, an excellent writer. right? Thank you're you. much stronger than I am. You give me a lot of 
pointers when I do write. But what I'm finding with the show that we do, which is similar to Stand Up on the Spot, but we have to pick the categories from a bucket. Yeah. It's called the Challenge Mike in, in uh, where is it? Koreatown? Where, where is that? K-Town! Yeah, Koreatown. Yep, K-Town. It's uh, that you have to, you, you just create it, right? You're just creating yeah. it on the spot in your voice. And what I'm voice. finding is I can go back and go, ah, that's a, there's something there. And I like Absolutely. the way I structured it because it's it's more me. Sometimes when I'm writing and then I repeat it, I'm like, this doesn't even sound like me. It's almost like I write in a different way than I'm telling jokes. It's strange. Do you understand? Well, sure. I mean, I write all my jokes basically just walking around my apartment like it's a challenge mic. Like I'm just coming up and riffing. And usually it's an idea that sparks in my head. I'm like... Ooh, this is funny because of this and yada, yada, yada. Um, and then I just, it's kind of like a challenge mic, but there's no audience sitting there waiting for you to laugh, waiting to laugh at something. So I don't feel the pressure. And that's when my brain just goes nuts. And then, and then I just ask those questions. What, you know, where were you? What did it look like? How did it sound? What was happening? How, you know, fill in all those gaps. That's really excellent advice for anyone that wants to start to get into comedy and to think about it. I mean, oh. I've been doing stand-up now for about two years, yeah. and my writing has always been terrible. It stresses me out. It makes me feel like a lazy piece of shit. Sometimes I can sit in front of the computer most of the time, and I write nothing sure. because I was definitely going about it the wrong way. Like, I needed to have developed that idea on stage you know, mm. just through one of these kind of mics and then sat down and crafted it. It's like I had nothing to work with every time I sat down, but there's no fucking yeah. rule book for this. It's so difficult zero to rule get book. direction. There, there's zero rule book and there's really zero textbook either. So much, some, I mean, comedy more than any other um, art form, I feel like is you're on your own. Figure it out. You're funny yeah. or you're not. You've learned it or you're yeah. not. You know, which is a shame because, you know, we're there are no shortage of stand up comedy classes in uh, the greater Los Angeles area. And most of them are bullshit. But they're not teaching you anything. Um, yeah. it's just, well, I Joe mean, talks about that. He never did a class. He kind of, of finds not. it funny. And when he talks to other comedians that come on and they've done it, he's like, really? What's that like? What do you do in that? It's almost like he just has no idea. And he he is literally has a phd in comedy i mean when yeah. you think of how long he's done it for and how big areas he sells out i mean you know he knows it as well as people can know things Absolutely. Yet the idea of a class is like i don't know how that would work and there's nothing else like this i don't care what you want to learn there's a class for it not with stand-up good luck baby yeah i mean the, the i took a class and to me i mean i it was probably arrogant of me, but I went in knowing I would be good at this. I was like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good comedy writer. I mean, we knew this, and I'm, and I wanted a safe space to work on my first set. That's what I wanted, and so it was basically, you know, whatever, three hundred dollars, whatever it was, three fifty that I put down that I had a safe space to go in, workshop some material with a small group of people, and that was valuable to me. I don't think I got. I think I got one note from my teacher the whole time. I was like, oh, I don't think that joke works. And I was like, oh, that's good. That, that's good. Um, and I, you know, I ignored her and then it didn't work. And I was like, all right, good on you. You knew that. <laughs> um, but that was the advantage for me because uh, funny is funny. You know what I mean? I feel like the best a class could te help is to help cultivate a set that is, will probably already be good, but you can make it even stronger. Um, through just some coaching of like, think about this. What did it look like? How does it sound? Like when comics talk about a conversation they have and then they don't do the voices. I'm like, act out the scene. Show us the scene. Uh, those are tips that you might get in a comedy class that might be valuable. Otherwise, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think there could be something to it. It's just a lot yeah. of them, it doesn't work. And, and it really is more trial by fire. It just it is. is that sort of dynamic. But is. obviously, you learn it because you do it more. The problem is what you're learning is f mostly the learning is when you're on that stage in that three minutes. It's true. That's it. It's and, like and the critique is about you doing it again and again and again and finding some jokes and working it. And it's 
you know it's yeah. hard to like structure a class around that it's true uh, so it's it like makes, um it makes sense it's like flying a plane where you know you will crash every time until you don't <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> god actually any time you it. give you try and describe stand up to somebody especially when you're trying to like you're trying to encourage them to do it it yeah it's horrific like everything that you say you just see it in their face they're like why the fuck would i do that that sounds I, awful I know. and you're like no 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 it's the best well, you, you and you're I not just, using words that describe that ever you and i describe it to our friends like when we talk about like the challenge mic or any other type of shows we try out or you know things like that and they're always like, well, what was that like? And I was like, it was terrifying and horrible. I can't wait to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, and you see on their face, like, I'm never doing that. But, you know, I, I don't blame them because uh, I was much older until I had the guts to do it because that shit's scary. Plus, I had nothing to say when I was younger. I had nothing interesting to say about the world. Yeah, well, that's something that Rogan talks about when he has, you know, he often does when he has his older friend comics on that he's known for like 20 years, like Greg's Fitz. Simmons and uh, Tom Papa and Brian Callen and I think I think uh, even Tom Segura he's known a very long yeah. time but you know they talk about how they just didn't know shit when they were like 20 something years old so the, the depth of their stories it's so much harder to do it so in a way yeah we got into it later so we got a lot of work to do but mm-hmm. it's you are coming in with more tools once you relax you know you Absolutely. may not have the stage time experience but you can really pull from from those stories and then we're so lucky being in the la area that we get to go to the comedy store and you can watch the just the killers the best of the best you know exactly. people like rogan just crafting his set that's that's one of the most beautiful things you get to see if you know that they just filmed their special and with joe that's easy because he talks about it a lot on his podcast then right. you'll go to the comedy store and then he's like building it after that you've paid 10 20 bucks yeah, you get to see like a kind of more nervous, a kind of less structured set coming out of somebody who's very, very good. And then over the yeah. months that you watch him, you know, like I'll probably in a year, I'll watch his like actual set other than going to the the um, uh, stand up on the spot show, which is obviously basically the improv version of his comedy. I'll watch him three. I'll probably watch him four or five times, and that'd be from the beginning. Just because he'd be on a lineup, I want to see. I'm usually going to watch maybe someone that is coming in from out of town. You know, maybe Bill Burr's here, maybe Andrew Schultz is here, maybe uh, Ari Shafir is in town. It's it's usually someone that I don't get to see very often. But then Joe is on the lineup, or Theo Vaughn is on the lineup, or Crystal Lee is on the lineup anyway. And you get mm-hmm. to see those, you get to see those sets developing. You're like, oh, I remember that joke from last time. Wow, he's really changed a lot of elements. It's cool yeah. to see them work. It's so fascinating. It you know, that's is. their playground. I love. Yeah. It. And on that note, this special edition of the Joe Rogan Experience, Woo-hoo. where we just talked about hunting and comedy, uh, until Joe gets back, he should be throwing some podcasts out this week. We'll see. What's um, up? Where are you performing this week, Mark? Uh, Yo, I got those of you in the LA area that like some comedy. Uh, if you get out Friday and Saturday, where are you going to be? Yeah, Friday, seven o'clock, Original Room Comedy Store, part of the uh, one of the up and coming comics and the D's Nuts show. Um, Very and then nice. uh, at the Copper Still on Saturday, eight p.m. Uh, Missouri something. I don't remember the name of the show, but it's eight. It's eight o'clock. The Copper Still in K Town. Nice. And the Copper Still's a, a, a cute little place. It's a yeah, cool it's place cool. to know and swing by. Uh, that's it also is. where we do the challenge mic on the Wednesdays. It's just like, it's a fun they, little area. It's a nice they, little back room. They but, don't have Pinot Grigio. They just have Chardonnay. <laughs> and they'll ask yeah, you if but, that's okay. And it's all right if you say no, like I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, God, and no. Why we, would you offer that? No. It's like, all right, we're at like, Rosé then, we, bro. Right. We don't have Pinot Grigio, but we have uh, urine. Oh, okay, yeah. sure, I'll take that. Yeah, we have this bucket of eyeballs. We're like, nee. is it fermented? Exactly. Yeah. Nah, still don't want it. Yeah, exactly. wild times. But anyway, as awesome. always, guys, thank you guys for listening. Thank Get you. out and watch some comedy. 
find it in your local area it doesn't matter who's there go support it watch it it's the best 10 or 20 bucks you can spend i promise you it'll cheer you up and uh that's it thanks guys thank you